Hi, I'm Felix Mishka from the Tennis Brothers and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host, and this is our 150th episode. Today, I speak to Felix Mischke from the Tennis Brothers. If you watch YouTube tennis videos, you definitely know who Felix is. And if you don't, and you're interested in following a young man's journey to one ATP tour point, get following the Tennis Brothers on YouTube. Felix tells us all about how tennis started for him, about his Tennis Brothers journey. He does have a brother, by the way and about his journey so far on trying to get one ATP Tour point and what happens after he gets one ATP Tour point. Before we start, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the info on the Slinger Bag. Okay, here we go. Hi, Felix. Welcome to the 150th edition of the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Fabio. How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. Great. No happy to have you on because you've been absolutely killing it off court on with your YouTube and what you've done with the Tennis Brothers and also on court your journey that's been really interesting to be able to follow that and yeah can't wait to find out more about that and how you're handling it all together but first of all how about you tell your audience a bit about you and a bit about how you started playing tennis and about the Tennis Brothers because we've heard a lot about you lately but there's there's two you guys. Yeah I think that's one of the main questions we get quite a lot so I started playing tennis about the age of seven. So I was playing multiple sports at the time and I just decided that tennis was just more for me. I had a few friends that also played tennis, so that definitely helped, especially when you're at a slightly younger age. You really want to be around your friends, having fun. And that's still something I kind of cherish today is having fun whilst playing the game. I think that's the most important thing. And then a few years later, my brother started playing tennis and then I guess a couple of years down the line, not too long after we both started playing, my dad originally started Tennis Brothers, which was originally an Instagram account where we would basically just show our tennis journeys. It wasn't really a big thought process behind it because obviously back then, so many years ago, social media wasn't really a big thing. It was more just kind of to show people our journey, I guess. And then from there, it kind of developed into YouTube a little bit where we would make these kind of sketch videos so like tennis stereotypes or kind of funny skits like that, me and Lucian basically, and then carrying on the Instagram basically up until now. And I think as we've kind of developed, some of the videos that we've done have changed. Obviously, I've started Road to 180p point now, which is a bit more of like a proper YouTube style series as to what we did in the past and kind of taking it kind of very seriously. Lucian at the moment is doing his GCSE exam. So he's at school and obviously focusing heavily still on tennis. And it's really difficult actually, as I'm sure you're aware with creating content, how much time it takes, how much effort it takes on the back end, the kind of content production, the content management, all of those types of things. But we're, I'm hoping, and he's also very positively hoping that in the summer, we're going to be doing lots of stuff together again. So hopefully that should work because obviously it's very, very tough. Um, as I can tell you about balancing school, tennis, YouTube content, all of that type of stuff. But, you know, I'm looking positively into the future and, um, you know, to have Lucian on the channel a bit more prominently in the summer, especially. And he's a bit younger than you, is he? Yeah. So he's just turned 16 in March. So, you know, two years younger, I'm 18. So, you know, 
it's a good age because I can also spar with him and practice with him and stuff. So we've got lots of cool ideas, you know, ready and lined up. I think a lot of people are very, very kind of um, curious about what's happening with Lucian, especially having him a lot on the channel in the past. But, um, you know, I guess exclusive insight, he's going to be very prominent this summer. And is the gap getting bigger now between you and him now that you're like full time on it, chasing your first point and he's busier with the studying? It's tough to say, really, because obviously I think the biggest one of the biggest things is the physical development. He's developing a lot physically as well because he's you know doing a lot of his gym exercises, whereas in the past he was kind of maybe 13, 12. I was already kind of going through the, the development stage. So I think physically he's catching up on me a little bit. But obviously I'm playing a lot more hours than he is right now, doing a lot more injury prevention stuff, a lot more mental, tactical and playing more matches, to be honest. So I think, yeah, the level gap is probably increasing at the moment. But I think once he has then the, the time to train fully and kind of maybe take the path that I took or something else that then that will kind of come down. I mean, we haven't really played a proper match or or kind of had that really competitive element because obviously he's quite busy. I'm very busy traveling around a lot of the time. But, you know, hopefully I can keep that edge on him, you know. Nice. And I was going to get into this later in, but I'm going to ask you now, first of all, how long does it take to make a video, a YouTube video? How much time goes into it? One, the planning, the film, and, and then there's the editing, which probably takes the exact same, if not a lot longer, actually. Let me know that process. So I think it's definitely changed over the years. So now I'm taking quite a a leading role within especially the video editing side of things. So I edit all of the videos myself. My dad helps out with some of the filming. So when I'm obviously playing, I need someone to help film my either my matches or my practices and stuff like that. And then I also do kind of the the management of like the you know, the plan of what I want to film, what I want to say, the storyline. And it's one of the questions I get asked a lot of the time because, you know, I meet some other YouTubers who have like a whole content team around them working for them. And I'm always very shocked. I'm like, wow, I just do this by myself and you have five people working for you. So I'd probably say that it's got a bit quicker over the years. Oh, sorry, over the months since I started the journey. But I'd probably say, you know, 12, 13 minute episode will take me between... 10 to 15 hours to to edit and and plan I would say that's a very reasonable estimate depending on how much kind of um, storytelling I put into it how many fast cuts how much stock footage and it really depends how much effort you're willing to put in because you could put in 50 hours into a video it's all about managing your time correctly for the output you know not going too overboard but not do it but still doing enough that it's you know a good quality video and people understand it in a good way and how do you balance the energy that is required there and the energy required to get 180p to a point where you're practicing doing the rehab prehab all that stuff every day I think it's a good question. My number one thing would be lots of sleep. I love to I love to get them a lots of sleep and so I'm very strict with kind of what time I go to bed, what time I wake up and also planning. I think that's something I get from my dad who's German. We have a he loves to to have a very strict plan and I think that's really helped and benefited me because when I have a a plan for my day and I know what I'm doing, I'm staying busy and I'm planning certain things at certain times then I have a good structure of what I'm doing. So I can allocate a certain amount of each time, each day to edit these films so it doesn't become too much and I have 10 hours of editing on a, on the weekend or whatever and that I can't, I'm sacrificing the tennis. So I always put the tennis first in the plan, making sure that I'm doing everything to achieve my goal because at the end of the day, ultimately, that is my goal to become a professional tennis player um, and then that other stuff works around it in a sense. 
And it's also something I really enjoy doing and I have a passion for it. So it doesn't really feel like work too much. So it's something that I can do and go and sit down where someone else would maybe watch, you know, a TV series or Netflix or something. I would then go and do my video, plan the videos because I, you know, that's what I enjoy doing. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. And tell me, I, I know you will get 180p to a point, whether it's next week or whether it's next month or six months, it will happen. Any insight into the next title, title the next season what, title? You could yeah, say. it's a good question. A few people were asking. I was uh, having a session with Patrick Moritogli yesterday. We were doing some filming and um, he, he said to me, like, what the next stuff would be. Um, I think mainly I want to have kind of keep the series progression going. So it would probably be uh, top 1000 ATP. So uh, having a certain milestone that I try and achieve and explaining, I think to be top 1000, you need 10 ATP points. So pretty, uh, again, maybe a, go- a year or two year goal. You don't want to set it too short term because then, you know, tennis is so up and down one time, you know, you could, like you said, get the point in the next tournament. So um, probably top 1000 and top 500 then grand slam or whatever so i was setting these targets that are kind of aspirational targets that i can work towards as part of the series and i think that's the biggest thing is not only having a time constraint so i want to achieve the point by the end of the year but also having a very aspirational goal that people can really relate to whether they're playing club tennis or whether they're on the journey with me or having already got that point you know how you know much effort that takes you know so it's better than saying okay i want to get one professional win an ATP point, you know, it's, it's like a very aspirational dream for a lot of people, I think, including myself. And how much of, I know goal setting is so important and you're, this is the ultimate form of goal setting where you, it's public, you know, you put it out there and how much is that driving you that by you throwing it out there and you're documenting it because it's, you know, you're putting yourself under a bit of pressure there and you're telling the world, here we go. So you've set yourself up, you know, for success or failure there so Mm -hmm. how much does that drive you i mean it's a very good question because i don't really feel the pressure in the sense of putting it out there i don't feel like some sort of necessity to get this point by the end of the year in that sense i'm also very confident in my ability having already played two tournaments having got three itf pro points losing in three sets in the first round becoming so close i feel confident in my ability to achieve the goal in the first place which gives me a lot of confidence you know but i totally understand your point and it it does put a little bit of added pressure in there you know what if i don't achieve that point what if i don't get these things but i think at the end of the day you have to kind of think well if i don't achieve that first point by the end of the year the journey's going to keep going on it's not going to stop i'm not going to say guys i haven't achieved it i'm going to hang up my hang up my tennis racket and not going to play tennis anymore so when you think of it from that perspective i don't think it's a, a really big thing in terms of not achieving that goal because you know you look at the average age of the guys in the top 100 or you know at the top of the game it's getting older and older so i think there's at the age of 18 there's no specific need to get a sort of ranking or a specific ranking in the world so for me i have enough time i'm not too worried about it and i try not to think about it to be honest i just try and think i'm going to just train my absolute hardest every single day enjoy the process think about the next video what am i doing and and get it out there and get it posted and just you know just enjoy the whole process as it's kind of going along great Uh, i look forward to that video though when you get a point that's going to be an exciting one yeah so if any of our listeners are on youtube through the YouTube algorithm, they have to have came across the Tennis Brothers because you're one, the, if not the top tennis account. There's there from views at the minute. But if they haven't, and or even if they have, two questions here regarding YouTube account. What's your most popular video so far in all your years of doing YouTube? And what video would you encourage a new subscriber to watch first? So I think our most successful video was a video we did quite a while ago, which was like a shoe review, um, which was kind of, a shock video because it w- it was 
almost like pretty lucky to be honest. It was like on the algorithm of football unboxings when they were a really big thing. So it kind of because we had like Nike and Adidas in the title, it was kind of promoted and suggested with loads of other football videos with like millions and millions of views. So the thing that has like nine hundred thousand views now, um, because it was kind of within that segment. But I think on my series, the most successful video. There, there are two or three which I think are pretty good. I think my main one was playing against um, the world number seven hundred and seventy-five. I played Giles Hussey in a Brit tour that has nearly three hundred thousand views now. I think that's probably in terms of likes and stuff pretty good as well. The one I'd recommend to to the viewers or a new subscriber or whatever would just be the start of my journey. It's called the start uh, episode one of Road Twenty to P Point. I think I put the most effort into that video in terms of editing, explanation, obviously being the first episode. And there was a really good response in terms of people, you know, commenting, liking, good engagement and um, people really feeling a sense of the beginning of something special, which I also thought um, when I saw the numbers from the video and stuff like that as well. So that's probably what I'd recommend. And I think even though that video was posted many, many months ago, a lot of people are still going back to it when they discover the channel on the algorithm and they see one of our new videos. They think, OK, well, this is episode 16. Let me go back to episode one and kind of watch from the beginning. So I think that's something I had in mind throughout the whole thing was not just to kind of post individual episodes, but to think, how does a storyline progress throughout my journey? What tournaments am I playing? How am I showing me preparing for tournaments and all of those different things? So that's probably what I would recommend. Great. Thanks for that. And we know social is so important. Players are encouraged to be on social because brands want to see that. What opportunities has for you being on social and having such a large presence, has it given you for your tennis career? I think it's one of those things like when you're growing a social account, it's more one of those situations where if people don't know who you are or don't know what you're doing, it's tough to actually value or you know feel some sort of um, belonging to like a community. So I think at the moment, as we're kind of growing, there will I can see opportunities beginning to emerge and arise that could be potentially very, very exciting. I think at the moment, the biggest impact I've seen is just like people coming up to me in tournaments and and places around the tennis community. And, you know, just saying that they're watching the videos, which is just crazy to me and asking for pictures and all of that type of stuff. And, you know, having a glimpse into the world of almost like a professional player, um, which is very surreal to, to me as someone that isn't a professional player, to be honest. And I think that that's something that I kind of cherish a little bit because, you know, it really motivates me to carry on going. Um, but I think in terms of actual like real world applications to my tennis, of course, yes, sponsors have come along and helped me on my journey. I've had opportunities to work with amazing people like Patrick Moritoglu, who have given me tips on my game, meet people in the tennis world, which is frankly unbelievable, work with some amazing people. So from that perspective, I'm unbelievably grateful for what I have. And hopefully, you know, it can keep progressing forwards and keep getting bigger and bigger. So the, the opportunities get bigger and bigger as I progress through tennis as well. Because I'd love to be in a position where not only is the social side of things really good, but also my level in tennis and my, let's say, ATP ranking gets to a point where I can collaborate or train with or even play matches with some of the best players in the world to create amazing content and just grow the sport of tennis and you know really allow people to enjoy it that maybe don't watch tennis usually. Because that's essentially my goal is to, to spread tennis to as many people as possible and get as many people watching, basically, and enjoying the sport. Great. And you're at the Mortoglu Tennis Academy at the moment training, and you said you're doing a bit of work with Patrick from mm -hmm. for content. What have you learned from him? I know he is a large production team around them. Have you picked up any good tips to help bring your production to the next level? 
Well, I think one of the main things I'm very impressed by is their efficiency in terms of the way that they do their videos. They have a cameraman there. They have a, you know, they, they're, they're very on it with what they're posting when they're doing it. Because I think on his YouTube channel, they're doing maybe two or three, four shorts per week, YouTube shorts, and then almost like a video every second, third day. And from my perspective, I do one video per week currently, maybe thinking about, can I do two? How would that work in terms of operational sense? Do I need to hire people? to to help me out can i even hire people with the budget that we're working with supporting my journey so it's all these factors so i think what i've learned from him in terms of a production perspective was you know how to manage things and how to i guess juggle different pots at the same time working on your instagram your tiktok your youtube because they're all very valuable tools in a sense because they're all different means of social media that have different benefits tiktok has a large chance to go viral. There's a lot of you know scope for growth. And YouTube, maybe you build a more like a engaged community. audience and community. Exactly. And I think all of those together, if you can juggle and balance those in the correct way, then that's going to be very, very valuable going forward. So I think he's pretty much the master of that, especially because he gets a lot of help and a lot of team. And he's, what he's built over the years is, is unbelievable, to be honest. And I kind of aspire to, to have the team that he has and have the people working you know, to, to promote him in the best way possible, really. Yeah, it is really hard. I'm speaking from experience here to manage, you say, TikTok, yeah. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. And yeah, it requires a lot of work. It requires a team. There's no way, I think, to do a good job on all those platforms by yourself because we're big on Instagram, trying to grow on TikTok, uh, YouTube more or less non-existent. We start to do a bit of podcast work there, but it just requires time and effort. And there's only so much one boy or girl or man or woman can do. And you definitely need a team. So a, a team is a good way to move forward. But it does come at a cost. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. And speaking of cost, I know one of your videos was uh, on your cost of your tennis so far, getting to today. Maybe you can tell us a bit about how much you've you came up with the figure i can't remember the exact figure the cost to get to your tennis today and how much it requires for you to train as a pro also i mean i think um money is one of those topics which people are very reluctant to talk about i've seen a few videos on youtube of how much tennis players make on the tour and frankly it's not a lot uh, until you get to kind of the the top 200 top 300 level but then so i thought how can i put a different spin on it so me and you know my dad sat down and said how much have we actually spent on your tennis journey um i think the figure came out to be you know a lot of, a lot a lot basically under 300,000 was it about that was that the- 200,000 dollars i think or yeah. something for like um i guess 10 12 years of of the journey um, up until now, I think that included the the cost of getting my first ATP point. We roughly calculated for the rest of the year how much it would cost. I think the number one thing is tournaments cost a lot more than training. Traveling around the world, especially at the highest level, having you know physio sessions, having you know flights to different countries, tournament hotels. That's really what costs the money, and that's why professional players, I think, need like sponsors or benefactors to help pay for the actual journeys. I think tennis is a sport where there can be, there is a, it's one of the most viewed sports, but the people actually don't get paid a lot. And I, I even got my first check uh, or um, prize money from the tournament I played in Italy. It was 
200 euros like pre-tax or something i think i've got like 150 pounds from first round of singles and doubles you know which doesn't even co cover like it covers like one night in the hotel without food or anything um so you know it's a bit of a reality check i guess and i, I think that's why i'd like um to carry on with the youtube stuff and that's why i'm very adamant about it because that helps me cover some of the costs at the moment and hopefully one day will help cover you know all of the costs i mean that i can take a little bit of the burden from my parents who have helped me you know over the last years support me on my journey which i'm very very grateful for and lucky enough to have parents that are able to support me but yeah i think it's one of those topics which is very individual per person some people maybe spend more some people maybe spend less but each person's you know on their own trajectory on their own journey I think the main thing is is that you're happy with what you're investing in and you're just trying absolute hardest to make every every session and every dollar or you know monetary value count per day because if you're just wasting money then that's your fault you know if, you, if you're just giving away stuff and then you're not trying if, if you're in control of what you're trying then that's that's the most important thing for me nice and you've had opportunities now terms you've played you've played some you know top 400 top 300 ranked players what's do you think has been the difference between your current level and their level apart from experience let's say what yeah. else is different so the number one thing i would say is their body their physical kind of attributes some of the i played billy harris he's you know six foot four six foot five he's very very strong individual i think i've got a lot of room for development in terms of not only becoming stronger faster having more endurance but also becoming injury free for longer being able to control my body know what becomes tighter quickly, know where I'm, you know, susceptible to injury, making sure I'm doing injury prevention every single day, because it is very tough. When I went to Italy, my first futures tournament, I was there just with my dad who has no experience in tennis either. So we're there, like, where's the tournament desk? Where's the sign in? Where do I have to do something here? Where do I pay the prize money? And then very, very quickly, you become tired. You become, you know, you know, you want to sleep a lot more because you, there's so many new things going on. You're tired unnecessarily a little bit and then those kind of things begin to build up you're not doing your you know injury prevention on a, a, a general um kind of a regimented schedule you're maybe not stretching it as much as you should because you kind of haven't got that habit and that ingrained thing that maybe some players who are at that level have they know okay i finish a match i do 20 minutes on the bike i do a, a cool down routine i do this and i obviously aspire to do that and i've talked to my coaches about trying to implement that as best as possible uh, but I think that's the biggest thing is if you can stay injury free, because of course, so many top players have injuries and it really ruins their year or even their career sometimes. So for me, it would be just trying to stay injury free for as long as possible, basically. Um, and then, of course, just like, it, it, you know, like you said, experience, but the experience of, you know, just hitting the ball, having hit more balls, knowing how to play certain points. And um, yeah, just being a bit more mentally and tactically aware within the matches, because sometimes when I went out to Italy, I played a three set match and towards the third set, I was really flagging. But you can see my opponent, he kind of knew what he was doing. He played slightly differently, maybe some higher balls, which were a bit slower. So I had to use a bit more energy and all of those little things that I didn't really pick up on because I was so focused on just trying to work my absolute hardest, just hanging there every single point. That clarity wasn't really there, which kind of cost me a little bit in the third set. But like you said, the experience of playing more matches will help me with that tactical training, mental training, other things that I really want to work on to have like a proper schedule before and after my matches and also in the match. Nice. And what is the plan moving forward? So for the summer, I think the, the plan would be just to, to kind of play more futures tournaments because that's how I'm going to essentially get my point is by playing more matches, winning more matches and winning a main draw match basically. 
Um, I think also having enough rest time is important. You can't be on, 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 on and never be off. But it's very difficult as well when you have like a series, you want to have some new content coming out every week. But I think it's good to take a step back sometimes. So I've scheduled like one or two weeks where I just rest, relax with the family. I think that's very important. Um, and then of course, also just, you know, try and try and also have a good time and have fun when I'm doing it because essentially I'm a, on, on a gap year at the moment. So I'm on a year off. So there's no point working myself to death, trying really hard. Not that I don't enjoy it. I do, but it's good to also have some time with friends, have some time at home. Um, so I think over the summer, play a lot of tournaments, have fun while I'm doing it, travel with some friends maybe, um, and also be at home for a bit of time to kind of train and also reset. And did you think of ever going to university? So I think I have a, a spot at university right now, which is kind of, I don't have to go. It's something that I can make a decision on down the line. And of course, I just want to focus on kind of playing tournaments, working on my journey. I think I've shown some good progress and some good results so far. Just so keep making sure that I'm you know, improving my tennis game, going off those results, trying to get better and better and, you know, making some decisions down the line when they need to be made. And university in the States? In the UK. So I have a spot. Oh, in the UK. Okay. In the UK. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, great. And tell me, so, oh, you've actually, you're one of the very few who've used the Functional Tennis Sabre. Mm-hmm. Have you used it yet? I have used it, yes. Well, what, what's it like? This is pure, raw talk. I haven't spoken to you about yeah. it because I sent it to your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts on it? Good or bad? You can say whatever you, say what you have to say. No, I, I, lo- I love it. It's something that I kind of take out my tennis bag and everyone's like, what is that? It's a little bit a novelty factor. I've had a few people looking and uh, asking. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It's very fun to play with. It's like a challenge almost. You want to kind of prove to yourself that you can play with something. I think it's one of those things as a tennis player, people look at it and think, how can you play with something with such a small head size? But then when you actually play with it, it feels very normal and it feels almost quite natural. And a lot of the balls I was actually striking reasonably well because that's where you kind of want to aim to hit the tennis ball anyway. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed playing with it. And I think that a lot of people have also, I gave it to a few people, they tested out a little bit and they all had some very, very good things to say. Um, so hopefully yeah, I can create some content with it down the line when I'm a bit less busy. Uh, I had a few things in mind, which, which should be very fun, but yeah, it's one of those things that, um, I think is a very valuable tool and it's, you know, a step up from what you had in the past, the, you know, the wooden, the wooden, what was it called? Spoon. Wooden spoon? Point, yeah, yeah. Point, so, yeah. Yeah. So the, the version one, I think the, 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 the saber now is a bit more forgiving, you know, it's proper strings. It has a bit more of a feel of a racket. Um, and it's also, you know, I can play for it for maybe 20, 30 minutes and there's no kind of pain or sensation of feeling uncomfortable or, and as well, like it just feels like I'm playing with a racket. So then when I switch back to my racket, um, it looks very strange. I have to say it feels almost weird for the first two or three minutes. Um, but then you can kind of really feel the effects because it literally feels like you're playing with some massive racket then, um, you know, but um, I'd like to, you know, try it out more in the future, have a few sessions with it. And like I said, maybe create some content down the line. Nice. Uh, that's great to hear. Thanks for that. I have two more questions for you. Standard questions we ask all our guests is one, any advice for younger tennis players who want to document their journey better? I think it depends what platform you're looking to to promote yourself on. I think documenting your journey is all about being authentic. So showing what you are doing, not what you think people want to see. And that's something I've kind of wanted to do in my journey is showing the losses, showing the tough moments, showing when I'm frustrated, showing the cost, which not a lot of people do. So I think if you want to document your journey, making sure that you're being authentic to yourself and being real 
and just being willing to put put it, put yourself out there. You know, if some things that you maybe find boring or not interesting, I'm sure other people will find really interesting because they are just on the same journey as you. And the thing as well, having confidence, having the confidence to put yourself out there a little bit, because tennis is a sport where nobody is perfect. Okay, maybe Djokovic on some days, but most people are, will never be perfect. So, you know, you know, I've posted points where I've made a mistake or made myself look stupid. I think some of the, those are some of the best videos because they're the funniest ones and they're the most real people can relate to them. So I'd probably say have confidence in yourself, be willing to post things that maybe you, uh, you feel a little bit uncomfortable to do within reason, of course. Um, yeah, and just have fun when you're doing it because at the end of the day, posting on social media should be something that you want to do and that you find fun and documenting your journey is something that you can look back on, you know, years down the line and think, wow, that's kind of something that I did. And, you know, you reminisce about the times when you were doing those certain things, which is something I even do now, looking back down the Instagram and the YouTube stuff, watching some old videos is, is really fun to do, even though they are quite cringy at some points. <laughs> That's what I was talking about with being a bit uncomfortable when they kind of feel in the moment cringy and you look back on them and you think, okay, that wasn't too bad. Um, that's, yeah, that's one of the biggest things. Great. And who is your GOAT? Oh, it's a very, very, very tough question you're putting on me. I think, of course, I want to say for me, I would never really like to specifically choose, but if I had to, it would probably at the moment be Rafa. I think... He obviously has the most slams and I think for me he's had the biggest impact because he's the most similar to my game. I think Roger, he's so elegant, he's so kind of clean. That's not really the way that I play. I love watching him play. But I think Rafa, the grit, the determination, the drive, how he came back in the Australian Open final to be the most, um, go ahead of Rafa, uh, sorry, ahead of Novak and uh, Fed in terms of grand slams was just truly inspirational for me. So at the moment, I want to say Rafa, but I think Djokovic is kind of kind of coming up in terms of all of the records and the the types of things. But I think the that kind of question is very individual to each person and the effect that that player has on them. If you're talking about statistics, I think Djokovic will end up as kind of the 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 best in terms of Grand Slams and all of that because he has the most time, I think. But in terms of the impact on me, I would say Rafa. Nice. And who is going to be the winner of this year's French Open, male and female? We landed on that. Oh, I think the, 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 I've just said Rafa is the GOAT. It's between Rafa, Alcaraz and Djokovic for me, for the French. And I think Rafa obviously had a bit of a problem in Rome with a little bit of an injury. So I'm going to say Alcaraz. I'm going to say he's going to take pick up his first Grand Slam in, in French. I think he's just a ridiculously good tennis player and unbelievable talent. Um, and I think he's going to go quite far in the, in terms of Grand Slams and maybe even rival the big three for for Grand Slams one. Who knows? It's going to be a a long a long process, and there's a lot that can go wrong. But I think he's on a, a good track at the moment. In terms of the women's, I think the women's is always a bit more open, isn't it? It's it's always a bit more kind of up and down. I think there's um you know quite a few clay court players, clay court specialists. I think Ons Jabeur is a very very strong contender. I think she did very well to obviously win previously in the, was it Madrid? Mm -hmm. um, so I th I'm going to put her to win the French. I think she's got very, very strong clay court game. She's got a good physical base and she's got the determination to go very far, I think. Yeah, well, good call there. But Felix, thank you very much. Hope the rest of your trip in the south of France goes well and look forward to hearing about your next tournament. And by the way, this will air after your doubles video this weekend, which goes live today or tomorrow. I think. Double video I posted yesterday. Oh, I just week. went live, did it? Double okay. So, did week, you get yeah. the point? No, we lost. Like, we played the number one seeds. We played a guy who was ranked, 
188 for singles and like 300 for doubles and the other guy was ranked 500 for doubles and I was playing with some we were both unranked players so it was a very big underdog situation but um it was a great moment to kind of gain a little bit of experience and see kind of how the doubles situation works and um you know I didn't really have any expectations going into it but um yeah the, I thought I might as well post it because you know I, I think it's always important to show the journey and then this Sunday's video will be um my second futures tournament which I played in Germany the 15k in Merbusch Nice. Sorry, I just thought of one more thing. Film, and you film all your matches as well, the ones I've seen on your account. You've asked the players, the officials, can you film ever any issues where to say, no, I don't want this filmed? In the UK, we've had one time where someone said no. I think in the future circuit, we just asked the ITS supervisor and everyone else is kind of fine with it because they live stream the matches anyway for like okay. betting reasons and stuff. In the UK, it's a bit different because they don't stream the matches anyway. So you have to get permission from the tournament organizer and the player. And uh, most of the time people say yes, to be honest. Um, one time someone's just said no, and that's totally fine with us because we just don't, don't use the stuff. Obviously it's, it's tough to tell a story without any match footage, of course. But yeah, I think maybe as we, we get bigger and bigger, people may start being a little bit more hesitant. Yeah. Hopefully not, fingers crossed. But um, all people can see it positively and think, okay, yeah, well, I'm going to get a little bit of exposure from it as well. So hopefully, I think at the more professional level, players really want their names out there as much as possible for sp sponsors and stuff, which is a very, very good thing. So hopefully we'll have no more issues um, down the line. Great. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah, best of luck with your tennis journey moving forward. Well, cheers, Fabio. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Felix he's doing such an amazing job on all his content and how he manages all and it's produced quite well you'd be impressed with the production level of it and head over to YouTube and search for Tennis Brothers and you'll see him pop up other than that hope you have a great week and look forward to next week's episode bye <laughs>